Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's good to be together with you in what we call over in the children's area Big Church. So we are, I'm thankful to, to be here. You know, a lot has happened in the life of my family since the last time I had the privilege of preaching here. Uh, as many of you know, my daughter was involved in a, a near fatal car accident. That will be a date that will be forever etched in the uh, recesses of my mind. It was on Friday, December 9th. I'd gone in early for some meetings that morning, but I was able to see my daughter Abby before I left since she was in the habit of getting up insanely early to work out with her mother to uh, you know, do some kind of insanity workout thing. Um, so I did get a chance to see her before the, uh, before the accident and got a chance to say goodbye. Um, it was while I was in one of those meetings, though, that I received a call from Ardina Clopine, letting me know that uh, Abby, her daughter Kyla, and also Shanna Learned had been in an accident while on their way to school. They were all taking part in a dual enrollment program out at the Masters University, and they were driving out together to do their classes. And, you know, this didn't phase me much at first, even though I, I vaguely remember Ardina informing me that the paramedics were attending to Abby. I, I don't know if it was shock or, or denial, uh, but I didn't even think to ask how bad the accident was. Um, I don't even know if, if at that time we even knew exactly where the accident had taken place. So I excuse myself from my meeting, and I, I get into my car, and I start driving down the 5 freeway just looking for an accident. Not to get into one, but one that would have transpired. Uh, again, I don't know if it's shock or denial. But in, in my mind, I'm just expecting to see, you know, about two or three cars pulled off on the side, people exchanging insurance information, maybe a CHP officer there just to make sure everybody behaves nicely, and uh, maybe a paramedic, since I vaguely remember uh, that being mentioned that they were attending to Abby, just because, you know, just to make sure everybody's okay. You know, at the worst in my mind, I'm thinking... All right, maybe she bumped her head on the steering wheel or suffered whiplash from being hit from behind, something like that. Well, whatever I'm thinking, it's not anywhere close to reality. And the fact that, and that fact started to take shape right around the time that traffic came to a complete stop. It was at that point in time that my heart sunk and I realized that my daughter had been in a very severe accident. They were funneling. Uh, all of the lanes into the carpool and the, the next lane next to it, um, shutting down about three of the lanes um, on a busy morning. Uh, the car was on the right side, and I had to pass by it. And uh, as I passed by it, I saw that it was clearly, clearly totaled. What I, I didn't have an understanding of then as I passed by was how bad things were with my, my daughter and how did that big hole get in the, the windshield. It was when I got to the hospital that I got the answer to the first question. Things were, were pretty bad. Whatever it was that had come through the windshield had struck her in the head, breaking a portion of her skull and exposing part of her brain matter. We were later told that uh, it's very common for the doctors to not operate under such circumstances, but by God's grace, hers did operate and for that, we are incredibly grateful. The operation took over five hours. Those had to be the five longest hours in our lives, especially since we were told initially that it was going to take about two hours. 
And over the past three and a half months, we have ridden a roller coaster of emotions. There have been some pretty high highs, but if the truth be told, there have been some pretty low lows. Having to wait for your daughter to come out of a life-threatening surgery is low. Not having your daughter be able to wake up from a chemically induced coma when you've been praying for nothing but that is low. Having one of your doctor's neurologists pretty much tell you that your daughter is going to be a vegetable is low. Having your once bright-eyed daughter open up her eyes and stare right through you is low. On the other hand, watching your daughter come out alive from a life-threatening surgery is pretty high. Seeing your daughter be able to breathe on her own without the help of a machine is pretty high. Seeing your daughter laugh for the first time after a serious accident is pretty high. Hearing your daughter find the voice that she lost from the accident is pretty high. I never thought I would tear up hearing my daughter say the president's names, but I did. <laughs> Having your daughter quote a line from Nacho Libre after finding your voice is extremely high. Watching your daughter eat a double-double from in and out on a couple days after having to eat everything through a feeding tube is pretty high. Getting your daughter back in personality and character is incredibly high. Yes, a lot has changed within my family since the last time I preached. But maybe the same could be said of you and your family. While it may look different from what we've been through, I think it is safe to say that we all have struggles. We all face difficulties and hardships in this life. We are all suffering under the effects of living in a world that has been subjected to the effects of the fall. Life in this world is hard, and it's easy to get bogged down with the various distresses and trials that come at us as we live in this Genesis 3 world. Throwing ourselves a pity party or wailing in our beds seems like the most natural things to do at times. But in the end, it really doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. When life gives us lemons, it's easy to become embittered. It's easy to forget that there is a good God that is at work, even in our darkest times. The Psalms are a great place to go to as to how you and I should respond in these difficulties and these trials. The Psalms continually remind us that we are to be a people who first and foremost run to God. In Psalm 88, 1 through 2, we read, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. In Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2, it says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. So I ask you, how do you tend to respond when you find yourself staring into a bowl full of lemons? What is your knee-jerk reaction to trials and hardships as they come your way? Do you run to or away from God? Do you allow the scriptures to speak into your, your difficulty or are you prone to let your emotions run rampant and roughshod over the situation? I believe we would all do 
well to consider these words from Martin Lloyd-Jones. They are words I've spoken to you before, but they are words that uh, if you truly grasp them and listen to them, will impact your life greatly, I believe. This is what he writes. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You must take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself, question yourself. Then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. This is great, great advice. Because far too often, brothers and sisters, we spend way too much time listening to ourselves, don't we? Our feelings, our emotions all over the place. And feelings and emotions are wonderful. They are gifts from God. I don't want to downplay that at all. But they are not going to be the thing that is going to make us stable and allow us to move forward. Our emotions change radically. So instead of being driven by those emotions, instead of listening to those emotions, all those voices going on in our heads, you and I need to be a people who come back to this book and we speak the truth that is found in this book to ourselves so that we can get some stability, we can get some, some perspective, and we can understand uh, what it is that we are going to be dealing with and how we can deal with it in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. The text that we're going to be looking at this morning goes a long way in, in helping each of us to preach to ourselves the great truths regarding God and how he deals with his children. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And it's there that we're going to look at three precious truths that will do much to encourage the weary-hearted saint and help him to find hope and peace in the midst of life's struggles. This is what the Word of God has to say. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Dear gracious Father, I come right now and I just pray, Lord, that you will speak through me that you will allow the the truths of this text to ring true in our hearts and in our minds such that we would be a people that would act very differently from the rest of the world. That we would honor you and be mindful of who you are in the midst of our tragedies and difficulties. Help us, Father, to be able to, to think clearly and to be able to dwell on who you are as you've revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture. I pray that my words would be clear and straight to the point and that it would have a a blessed effect on my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. Lord, may you you bless the, the preaching of your word. I ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, our passage this morning is found in the context of the Apostle Paul offering a a defense of his apostolic ministry because, you know, the, the Apostle Paul went through a lot. He struggled a lot. He had a lot of difficulties. He had a lot of hardships. In fact, so many that, that some of the people that were in Corinth were beginning to wonder, is this really a man of God? I mean, would a man of God 
have to deal with so much trouble, so much difficulty. Maybe God's judgment is on him for having to go through so much. So they were beginning to kind of question whether or not Paul um, was a viable source, a deliverer, as it were, uh, of a message from God. Maybe what he was sharing was not actually from God at all. Um, But rather than be discouraged by some of these accusations and some of these thoughts, Paul offers a confidence that is actually grounded by those very hardships that were being used against him. As one commentator surmises, Paul does not lose heart because God has commended him through the pouring out of the Spirit and fulfillment of the promises of the new covenant through Paul's life of suffering in Christ. See, Paul knew that God had called him into the ministry. His encounter with the the risen Christ on the road to Damascus couldn't have made it any clearer to Paul. There was no doubt that Paul understood that he was a called apostle from Christ. But Paul also knew that his being called to follow Christ was not an invitation to a life of comfort and ease, but rather it was an invitation to suffer. And if the truth be told, brothers and sisters, this is true of each and every one of us in this room if, we are, if we've put our trust and our hope in the perfect work and person of Jesus Christ. God has not called us to have our best life now. He has called us to lay down our life for his sake so that we might find it. And anybody who tries to tell you differently is not telling you what the word of God has to say. Instead of being surprised by the difficult things that come into our lives, you and I ought to be preparing ourselves to bear up under them when they do come by letting the word of Christ richly dwell within us. This is not something that just happens because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. This is something that you must actively pursue and actively do. The Apostle Paul was not put off by the fact that he had to suffer through so many hardships. He wasn't wasn't surprised that, that he had so many difficulties because he fully grasped the fact that he was a follower of the one who had suffered and died for him. Paul was willing to travel this hard and difficult road because Jesus had traveled this difficult road before him. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.14, Paul was thoroughly convinced that the same resurrection power that enabled Jesus to conquer the grave would work in him as well. The Apostle Paul had the faith to look beyond what he could physically see and touch, to see a realm that was filled with the glory and the splendor of God. It was a realm that was opened up to him through faith in Christ, and it's a realm that he invites every believer to gaze into with him in an effort to help us to bear up well under the various trials and hardships that we face living in this fallen world. The section of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning offers us a glimpse into this realm and tells us three truths about the God who dwells there. And these three truths have done a whole lot to minister to my soul over these last few months as I've preached them to myself. And I pray that they will have a significant impact in your life as you preach them to yourself and become and come face to face with our amazing God who promises to use your trials and your difficulties for your good. And he will help you to bear up well under whatever trial or future difficulty he may take you through. Now the first truth about God that we find in our text is that God is gracious. God 
is gracious. Listen to what verse 16 has to say. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. All throughout the section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, we find Paul making it a point to contrast opposing things. And and in this particular verse, we see the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. The outer man is decaying. And really, this doesn't come to a surprise to any of us that are over 30, right? We, We see it, but more importantly, we feel it, right? The outer man is decaying. But this decaying of the outer man isn't, isn't a reality that is just specific to us Christians. No, this is something that is true of all people, regardless of their race or their religion. It was John Calvin who once said this, In the, repro- in the reprobate, also the outward man decays, but without anything to compensate for it. This is a result of the fall, right? Satan, the father of lies put all of his craftiness into trying to make Adam and Eve believe that God was not good, that that he was somehow withholding something from them, something that would have been good for them, something that would have been to their benefit. And because Satan hates God, he takes pleasure in trying to downplay God's greatness and in leading people to believe wrong things about God. The reason that the world looks and acts so differently from how it was in the beginning is because sin has tainted and changed every aspect of it. Sin has spilled over into, into everything. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, every person that comes forth from their line, which, by the way, is all of us, is born a sinner. Sin always has consequences, and the consequences of their sin is that all of creation now suffers under the weight of their choice. And as the crown of God's creation, it is no wonder that humans have been impacted the most by the entrance of sin into the world. The wages of sin, according to Romans 6.23, is, is death. And as a result, our outer man is decaying. But this is where the grace of God comes into play, right? Despite the fact that all of humanity suffers under the weight of sin, the believer is actually being renewed day by day. God, by His grace, is actually changing us. He's actually making us more and more like Jesus Christ with each passing day. This process is something that we call sanctification, right? And it's a constant demonstration of the grace of God. God would have been completely just to leave us dead in our trespasses and sins. He would have been completely within the realm of being fair had he chosen to leave us in our helpless state. But because God is gracious, he did for you and me what we couldn't do for ourselves. And having saved us, he continues to pour out his grace upon us by sanctifying us. Every inch of progress we make in our effort to grow in godliness is made possible by the grace of God. Instead of being becoming overwhelmed by our sin and bogged down by the difficulties of this life, our gracious God continually renews us such that we keep seeking and trusting Him. It was this daily renewing that enabled the Apostle Paul to keep going even when life was extremely difficult and hard for him. That is why he was able to write, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing persecuted 
but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I can attest to this renewing as we went through our ordeal with our daughter Abby. There was so much uncertainty from day to day, even throughout a day. And yet God was renewing us and using all that we were going through to shape and to mold us into the image of Christ. I can honestly tell you that while I still have plenty of things in my life that are in need of change, I am not the same man that I was three and a half months ago. God has changed me and he has made me much more dependent on him than I have ever been. He has grown my ability to trust him and to have peace even in the middle of great uncertainty. By his grace, he continues to renew me and conform me more and more into the image of his son. The words that are found in Philippians 1.6 remind us of the fact that we are all works in progress, and yet we are works that God will never leave undone. Listen to what Philippians 1.6 says. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The same gracious God that began his work of salvation in you while you were dead in your trespasses and sins will continue to pour out his grace in your life because that's who he is and that's what he does. He is a gracious God. And you and I need to speak this truth to ourselves so that we don't forget it when things get hard, right? We need to remind ourselves that there is a gracious God that is at work in our situation. In the midst of our struggles, we need to preach this to ourselves so that we don't lose heart and we don't become embittered towards this great God. Which brings us to the second truth we find about God in our text, which is God is powerful. God is powerful. Follow along as we look at verse 17. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Again, in this text, we find the Apostle Paul offering a contrast between the, the difficulties that we face in this life with the glory that awaits us in the life to come. And in a sense, we're told that the, the two really can't even be compared. He begins by, by stating that the afflictions that we are going through in this life are momentary and light. But what does Paul mean by this when he calls them momentary and light? Is he trying to downplay the, the hurt and the, the pain that we all go through in this life? Has he been beaten up one too many times? Is his lack of sleep finally catching up with him? Is he not thinking clearly here? Is he being insensitive? Because I can certainly attest that, that momentary or light and are, are not the words that I nor any of the members of my family, for that matter, would use to explain how this accident has made us feel. To the person that has lost someone they love dearly, to those that are desperately in need of a job, to those who have broken families, you fill in the affliction, whatever it is, momentary and light are not the descriptive words that they would use in an effort to try to describe their situation. So what does Paul mean by using these words? Well, let me see if I can help us to better understand this by way of illustration. See where Paul's coming from. I want you to imagine, if you would, that you uh, decide to travel in your car from Los Angeles to New York. And as you're traveling, you have different stop points, different places where you eat, places where you sleep, places you kind of check out, and you have it all mapped out. Now, let's say that one of the places that you stop is Chicago. 
And while you're stopped in Chicago, you decide to tour the city. Eat some deep dish pizza, you know, do all that, all that good stuff, right? And you're, you're, you find yourself standing there in the middle of downtown Chicago, looking up at all of the buildings, and you say to yourself, this is a really big city. The city's huge. Really cool with the architecture and everything too, but it's big. And then you get back into your car and you continue your trip until you finally reach your destination in New York. Now, I want you to imagine making that same trip, but this time taking an airplane from L.A. to New York. As you're flying, the pilot tells you that you are passing directly over Chicago. You look out your window and, and there it is. You say to yourself, it, it looks a little different from up here, but it's still a pretty big city. Now, I want you to imagine breaking out your computer and looking at, looking at Chicago on Google Maps using the satellite. You see the area that makes up Chicago, but you really can't make out any of the buildings or, or anything like that. You see the shoreline of Lake Michigan, but it certainly doesn't look as big to you from this vantage point. Now, finally, I want you to put yourself on a rocket ship to the moon. Once you've landed, you look out the window and you see a, a beautiful view of the entire earth. You look and, and you see some, some different continents, but you, you certainly don't see any cities. And, 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 and you do your best to kind of guess where you think Chicago might be. Now, all this time, Chicago didn't change, right? It was the same city whether you drove through it, flew over it, saw it from a satellite, or tried to see it from the moon. What changed was your perspective. What seemed large and enormous in one setting was unseeable in another. And this is Paul's point. Right now, when you and I find ourselves in the midst of a struggle or trial, it's like we're standing in downtown Chicago and all we can do is see how big it is. This thing is huge. It's big. But God doesn't look at our problems and say, yeah, boy, that's a, that's a pretty big one. Stinks to be you right now. He doesn't wince or, or shrink back in fear because he has no idea how to get you through it. Nor does he turn his back and pretend that what you're going through isn't real. Far from it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But not only do we have a God that is gracious, we have a God that is powerful and is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now, this doesn't mean that God will do whatever we ask him to do whenever we ask him to do it. He is God and he knows exactly what we need. And he knows how long we need to go through something. The Apostle Paul knew this all too well. The Apostle Paul, um, a little later in this letter, tells us about how he cried out to the Lord because he had this thorn in his flesh. And he asked the Lord, he begged, he, he pleaded with the Lord to remove that, that thorn from his side three times. And the Lord's answer was very clearly recorded in 2 Corinthians twelve nine: My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Paul goes on to respond, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, it has been rightly said of God that he is able to strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Only God is powerful enough to use the painful circumstances of living in this fallen world for our good and for his glory. As we come back to verse 17 again in our text, I want you to grasp the magnitude of what God is doing with the, with the afflictions in the life of a believer. Listen to what the text says again. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That, brothers and sisters, is power. God is using those hard and difficult things in our lives to shape and mold us such that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. It's an image that will be so glorious that it will be beyond that it will be beyond all comparison and it will reduce our struggles no matter how big they may appear to be now to being considered momentary and light that is power as you and I look towards this eternal glory, we are able to actually rejoice and proclaim Christ in the midst of our adversity. Only a God as powerful as the one found in the pages of Scripture is able to cause all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen? The thing that you and I must always remember is that what we believe to be for our good and what God knows to be for our good are oftentimes very different, are they not? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Me and my family, we didn't sign up. We didn't sign up to have our daughter go through something like this. And you would be insane to do that. Any person would. And yet God, in his sovereignty, has seen fit that this is what is best for us at this time. To change us. To shape us, to mold us so that we might be more and more conformed into the image of Christ as individual followers of Jesus Christ. And because of this, we need to continue to rest in His power to work. To work good, not solely for this life, but ultimately for the one to come. John Piper, just a very gifted communicator, He sums it up well when he writes in his book, Future Grace. He says this. The unseen thing that Paul looked at to renew his inner man was the immense weight of glory that was being prepared for him, not just after, but through and by the wasting away of his body. When he is hurt, he fixes his eyes not on how heavy the hurt is, but on how heavy the glory will be because of the hurt. Listen to that again. When he is hurt... He fixes his eyes not on how heavy the hurt is, but on how heavy the glory will be because of the hurt. That is a powerful God that can take the brokenness of this world, the difficulties and the trials and the struggles, and make them into something so glorious that that 
that's going to make what we're going through look, look like nothing. It can't even be compared to the glory that's to come. That's power, brothers and sisters. And we have a powerful God who is at work in our difficulties and our struggles and our trials. Which brings us to the third and final truth we find out about God in our text. That being, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Let's look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are are temporal, but the things which are seen are not seen, are eternal. It is here that we find the Apostle Paul contrasting that which is seen against that which is not seen with his primary emphasis resting on the temporal and the eternal. You know, you and I find ourselves living and, and breathing in the realm that is that is seen. That is why it's so difficult for us to, to not become undone by the difficulties that arrive in our lives. We see them, we, we live with them, and we suffer through them day after day. Um, we struggle because it's, it's, it's ever before us, and we can't get away from it. Right? And, and we see other people that maybe aren't seeking to live for the Lord. And, and from our standpoint, it looks like you know, everything just seems to be going well with them. These, these wicked people are, are thriving and prospering even. And, and we tell God that it's not fair that we should have to suffer and endure so much hardship while, while others who aren't living for him seem to be getting away with murder. When we do this, brothers and sisters, we are, we are failing to live by faith. We start acting like there's, there's no heaven, there's no hell. We forget that a day is coming whereby Jesus is going to return. And when he does, everything, everything is going to be made right. I don't know about you, but I, I long for that day more and more. The older I get, I seem to, to want it to come more and more. Where everything's going to be made right. But it is the grace of God that is, is keeping him from coming because there's still people to be saved. There's still people to be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's still work to do. But a day is coming where Jesus will return and everything will be made right. You and I need to remember that the world we live in is filled with earthy things, right? These things will not carry into eternity. Your money, your, your property, your power, your prestige, whatever it may be, these things will not carry into eternity. And yet, how many of us spend our time seeking after these things, going after them as if this is it? This is what life is all about accumulating and getting as many of these things as I possibly can, getting my children to a certain level so that they can make it in this world. We live as if there's there's not something more to come. We live for what we see rather than for what we don't see. These things, brothers and sisters, will not carry into eternity. The Apostle Paul had had learned to look past the temporary. And this is evidenced by what he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 3, 4 through 8. He says this, 
Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul was thoroughly and completely convinced that God was trustworthy, and hence he could be trusted to do what he said he would do. Because of God's impeccable character, Paul was willing to endure any hardship, any trial, any beating, any shipwrecking, anything that he might get for the sake of being in the glory in glory with his creator. That was home to him. He couldn't wait to be home. This wasn't home anymore. It was for him at one point in time, but it wasn't anymore. And if you're a follower of Christ, you, you need to grasp this truth. You need, to, you need to realize that God is trustworthy. What he says he's going to do, he's going to do. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us and that he's going to come back. And if we believe that, brothers and sisters, it will change the way that you and I live in this world, will it not? The problem is you and I, too many times, we're living like this is it. We see it, we touch it, we smell it, we feel it. Therefore, this must be all that there is. Not so with Paul. He knew there was much more, something much greater that was to come. He trusted God. He knew that God was trustworthy. And so he was willing to forego anything this world would try to offer him. So that he could have Christ. So that he could be in the presence of Christ for all of eternity. He didn't care what happened to him. As long as he could be with Christ. As long as in the end, he would be in the presence of his Savior. In his book, Forever, Paul David Tripp offers us these encouraging words. He says, yes, life is hard and you will face things you never imagined you would face. But this world is not all there is. You are not living in the final chapter of the story. What is broken will be fixed. What has been bent will be straightened. And what is decayed will be restored. Eternity really does give you a reason to continue, even when nothing right now seems as if it is working. Eternity challenges my feelings of futility by reminding me that what I am experiencing right now is not Permanent. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you, do you believe that truly? These are truths that are taken right out of God's word, and God always does what he says he will do. God is, is, is not like us in that sense. Numbers 23, 19 uh, tells us this very thing. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? You see, God's character is not like ours. 
The fact that God is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. The fact that God is omnipotent, which means that he's all-powerful. The fact that God is omnipresent, which means that he is present everywhere all of the time. Each of these traits of God make it impossible for him to ever be caught off guard or to change his mind or to simply forget any one of his promises. He is completely and totally trustworthy. And we can take great comfort as we rest in his promises to us as believers. This truth about God has done much to comfort my soul over these past few months. I found great peace in in knowing that God is, is trustworthy and he's in control. That he is going to do that which is for our good and for his glory. And really when all is said and done, this world is not our home anyway. Because he's trustworthy, I don't need to worry about him changing. I just need to rest in him alone. What about you? See, brothers and sisters, as difficult as things were with our daughter, Abby, when she first had her accident, at the end of the day, we knew. We knew that she knew the Lord. And we could have peace, even if the Lord decided to take her home that morning. But by his kindness to us, he chose not to do that, and we are extremely grateful for that. But here's the thing I want you to understand. God wouldn't be any less gracious. He wouldn't be any less powerful. He wouldn't be any less trustworthy if he did take her home that morning. You see, if we believe what we say we believe, if we believe that there's a heaven and that this isn't home, And that for all of us that have turned from our sins and trusted in the perfect work and person of Jesus Christ, if we believe that because of that and through that we are going to be in glory forever, whatever happens to us here really is of little consequence compared to the eternity that we're going to have with God in heaven. I mean, just give yourself a good life here. 70, 80, 90 years. How does that compare to eternity? It's, 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 a, it's, it's a blip on the radar screen. Hardly even noticeable. And yet, so many of us are living like this is all that there is. We're investing every, every ounce of strength that we have to, to get something more here rather than investing it on ahead, building into eternity, reaching people with the gospel growing our children in the Lord, being more concerned with their character and how they're living for the Lord than their GPA or their sports accomplishments. Right? These are things that we just got to take a step back. And again, there's nothing wrong with your kids playing sports or doing well in school. I'm all for that. That just can't be our focus if we're followers of Christ, right? And, and, and God isn't any less good or, or gracious He's not any less powerful. He's not not any less trustworthy if if he doesn't give us the things here that we want. Or if we we suffer the loss of something near and dear to us here, God's still good because, again, if if we're in Christ and and we're going to be with him for an eternity, 
the stuff that happens here really is insignificant in some ways. We just need to be using our time to point people to Christ and to be living to put him on display. And, and here's the thing. The world doesn't get this, right? To the world, when bad things happen, it's, it's okay to fall apart. If you're a Christian and bad things happen and you don't fall apart, I guarantee you, you will be noticed. People will see a difference. And it will create an opportunity for you to put the gospel on display. Right? It's, it's easy to, to trust God and to, to rest in those, those great truths about him when life's going really well. But how would you respond? How do you respond when life gets a little crazy? It'd be my hope that you will remind yourself of the fact that God is gracious. God is powerful. And God, God is trustworthy. And all we need to do is hold on to those truths, speak those truths to ourselves, and we can live differently from the left, rest of the world. We can have peace and joy. Something the rest of the world does not have because of who God is. So let's remind ourselves of these things. Let's um, ask God to continue to grow us, to shape us, because he is gracious, he is powerful, and he is trustworthy. And a day is coming when everything is going to be made right. And we just need to keep trusting him to that end as we work. With that, we're going to close with a song from Tim. Tim, I'm going to ask you to come on up and close us in the singing of It Is Well, and then you will be dismissed after that. So thank you, Tim.